This morning, we're starting our, our, our new series, um, and it's on this, the Songs of Ascent or the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalms 120 through 134, and um, this is going to be a 15-week series. I'm, I'm really excited about this and about, uh, about the possibilities um, of just how God wants to grow us, how He wants to meet us in the middle of these songs. You know, songs are an incredibly powerful thing. You know, God, God made music. He, he, he created it. It belongs to God. God created music for worship. All music, as a matter of fact, has an object of worship. Too oftentimes, actually, in our culture, those objects of worship aren't necessarily something that, that we would want to really or, or should necessarily glorify or worship. But, but music is a powerful thing, and music penetrates into a deep place. Into our, it goes kind of like right into our soul. I, I'm convinced that, that, that it's created, that, it's, uh, that it, it is this amazing thing that is meant to prepare our hearts and our minds to, to meet with God, to hear messages, to, to, to know God and to know Him in a deeper way. As a matter of fact, music is incredibly biblical numerically, right? If, if, you, if you look at music, there are seven major notes, right? If you consider all of the notes, the minors as well, you have 12, which is also a pretty biblical number. And if you want to compose a major chord, you do that with three of those notes. And, and so there's this picture, just this, this, the mathematics of music that, uh, that, that, that God's fingerprints are all over it. So the Psalms basically are, are songs. They're, they're, they're music that was composed and that was, was sung to God. There are 150 Psalms, and, and those are divided into five different books through the book of Psalms. And they were written roughly over about a thousand-year period. And these songs, they focus on the purpose of our journey, and, and they, they meet us in, 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 the, in the realities of life. The Psalms meet us in the, in the places of, of desperation. They meet us in places of, of, of total um, chaos and struggle and strife. They, they meet us when we don't feel like meeting with God, and they, and they minister to us. They, they, they meet us in times of depression, and they also meet us in times of great celebration and joy and, and, and these kinds of things. So in that way, these, these songs, they match life. And I'm, I'm convinced that our worship, it needs to be an expression that matches life. The reality of life and, and, and of our lives as we meet here this morning is that we all come from different places. We're all dealing with different things in our lives. We all have different struggles and different things. And some of us come from, from great struggle this morning and, and, and we're, we're, we're overwhelmed uh, by, by events in our lives and things that are going on. And some of us are just celebrating maybe personal victories and those kinds of things. So in that sense, these, the songs even that we sing on a Sunday morning are, are meant to, to kind of meet each person kind of hopefully where they're at, whether that person might be celebrating or whether that person might be in a, in a, in a difficult place. Uh, so, uh, so I want you to be just kind of picture in your mind just the, the idea of a journey, because that's what these, these uh, songs of ascent were, songs that were sung by pilgrims as they journeyed uh, to Jerusalem for the, for the major festivals. There were three major festivals that, uh, that we'll look at here just in a minute that they would, that they would travel to. And, and so just imagine families and friends and neighbors and people and just the, the buzz on the road as they were heading to Jerusalem. I think it's a really interesting thing that in that time, they would corporately, they would sing these songs together and they would be preparing their hearts as they drew nearer to God. And in that process of drawing nearer to God, they would be drawing nearer to one another. I'm, I'm sure that, that for children and things like that, that, uh, 
that, that, that this was a special time. This was a time where, where memories were being built and, and, and just special times were had on that, on that road as they went to Jerusalem. And so regardless of kind of where they started their journey at in uh, Israel, they basically would first descend. They would actually end up, before they made the turn and made their way up to Jerusalem, they would actually end up at the lowest point on earth at the Dead Sea, and it's about 1,354 feet below sea level right there. And then they would ascend to about 2,475 feet above sea level as they came up and they came into Jerusalem. So they would have first descended into the lowest point and then ascended. And I think that there's a, there's a cool spiritual application to all that. The Bible is full of, of journeys that Abraham was called to a journey, right? God told him to, to leave the land where you're at and go, and I'll tell you when you're there kind of a thing. Just, just get going, and you're, you're going on this journey, and this journey is, is something that I'm going to be leading you on. All of the disciples, basically, Jesus approached them, and he said, hey, put down what you're doing there and come and follow me and be a part of this journey that I'm on and, and, and put aside what you're doing and, and just join in on this journey. Paul, after he was converted, he went on missionary journeys. He went around uh, Asia Minor planting churches and, and reaching out and sharing the gospel and, and growing the church. Uh, Paul went on a lot of journeys. Jesus himself was a, a sojourner. He journeyed from heaven right down to earth to, to meet with us, to, to intercede into history, into time, and into space. Not in just some nebulous way, but in a way that we could get a hold of. We can, we can look back and we understand that this is an actual historical event, the, the life of Jesus is, and that, and that he intervened into our story so that he could make a difference in our story, so that he could pay the penalty for sin, so that we could then have a right relationship to a holy and righteous God. Luke chapter 15 is one of my favorite stories, uh, starting in verse 11, it talks about this lost son, and this lost son begins his own journey, and the very first thing that he does is he asks his father to, to give him his share of the inheritance. He says, you know, hey, how about we just pretend like you're dead and, and, and give me what I got coming, and I'm going off, and I'm taking off. I'm going off to this distant land off over here. I'm going off to a place that I see as being better. I'm, I'm going on this journey, and this journey is about me, and it's about, about what I think and about what I want, and, and I'm, I'm headed off over here, and basically he gets over there into this distant land, and nothing goes right for him, and he finds himself out of resources, and, and when, he, when he finds himself out of resources, he then begins another journey, the most important journey, which is the journey back to his father. So uh, pilgrimage is, it's a journey, it's a sacred journey. It's a journey to know God in a deeper place, to know Him more. And it's a journey that I hope that we will corporately be on as we go through these, as we kind of look at these psalms and we, we understand how these songs are teaching us to prepare ourselves to meet with God, teaching us how to live and, and, and how to, how to uh, meet with others and, and to be in this world and, and to be making a difference. Deuteronomy 16, 16 and 17 is, is where God gives the directive for them to come to these, uh, to these festivals. Three times in a year, all of your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the feast of unleavened bread and at the feast of weeks and at the feast of booths. 
and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. Um, and so these uh, three uh, uh, festivals are the one of unleavened bread is, is the one that it, it includes the Passover meal. Um, the, the Feast of Booths um, is, is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's, it's a celebration of the 40 years or a look back at the 40 years of wanderings in the desert. And then the final one, the one of weeks, is the one of Pentecost. It's the idea of the harvest and, 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 and of kind of the, the culmination, the fulfillment of all of the good things. It's, it's when the church was launched, right, is this idea of the harvest. And so it, it has that idea that the, the church is meant to be harvesters, that we're supposed to be going out into the world and, and, and reaping a harvest. So, so this journey has taken... Uh, the, the people of Israel out of bondage in Passover, we see that they're released out of bondage and out of Pharaoh's captivity, and then they spend 40 years wandering in the desert, right? And then ultimately, uh, they, 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 they find this time of great harvest. Um, it's a little bit very much like the promises that God gives to us, that, that, that really that each one of us is on a journey out of bondage, out of captivity, uh, to the sin of our own devices many times. Um, uh, we're wandering around in this world, right? We're, we're, we're sojourners here. We're pilgrims here. We're not made for here. We're not, this isn't our permanent home. We're, we're moving through here. And as we do that, we're, we're hopefully doing that in a way in which we are participating in the harvest that God has. So these are the southern steps uh, coming up into uh, basically just barely what's left of, of Herod's temple in Israel. And, and, and as these pilgrims had, had been sung their songs, they also uh, would be singing these songs as they, as they ascended up these steps. And these steps, um, there are 15 narrow steps and then there are 15 wider steps. And, and, and so just the idea that the procession, there would have been thousands of people coming up these stairs during the festivals. And, and, and these, these steps were also called the teaching stairs. And, and so the rabbis during the week and at different times would be teaching on these stairs. These stairs are very likely the very place where the church was actually birthed. It's probably the place where Peter was at on the day of Pentecost when he preached. And it said that 3,000 came into the church. And, and they were baptized. And on the way up these stairs and the, on the way up into the, the, the temple, there are these things called mikvahs, and they were, they were uh, basically baptismals. And there's about 50 of them that they've found so far. And so the pilgrims, as they came up and they prepared to go into the temple, they would immerse themselves, they would cleanse themselves as they came up into the temple. And they would, every time they hit a wide step, they would recite or they would sing one of these songs out. So imagine just thousands of people as they, as they climb this thing, and they're, they're in a bowed position because, because the, 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 the stairs aren't really even, and so they're paying attention as they enter in, and they've purified themselves, and they're reciting these different songs as they come up. And these gates, uh, they're called the Hilda gates, and, and they're the gates where the common people would have entered into the temple. They led into an underground passageway and then up into the courts. And so 
what a sight as we kind of think that way um, and just understand that these are steps where Jesus probably would have regularly taught. He, him and his family, as, as a child, he would have come with his family and ascended up these steps. What a powerful thing to think of as we kind of get some context. Psalm 120 begins like this. It says, in my trouble, I cried to the Lord. And you see, this is a, this is a necessary place for us to, to get to. As a matter of fact, if you don't have trouble in your life, you probably won't have a real need for a Savior. You won't have need for anybody to get you out of trouble. Generally for us, trouble is the place where our relationship with God begins. I know for myself, there was a time in my life where, where, where it, I was just taken by, by some real darkness. It was inside of me. I, I, I was lost. I was, I was dark. I had tried to provide my own way and be my own boss and kind of be my own God. And I, I had set forth kind of a belief system that I was basically the God of because everything in that belief system was what I believed. And I was the one who dictated what was right and wrong. But in the midst of that... Um, my life was, was, was really just kind of falling into a place of chaos. I was doing a lot of unhealthy things. I had a lot of unhealthy and, and, and not good ways of, of, of living life and, and, and treating others, and, and, and I was really struggling. And one day, one, one day I just I remembered, I, I hit my knees, and I said this. I said, God, I don't know who you are, but if you'll show me who you are, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to begin a journey with you. I'm ready to, to follow you wherever you might lead me. So it's this place of trouble that, that generally that things begin for us. You see, when that lost son had, had went away, it wasn't until he was out of resources, right? As, as a matter of fact, he, he found himself, he, he ran out of resources. There was a famine in the land that he was believing was going to be a good place. And, and he ran out of personal resources. He ran out of money because of the way that he was living. And then he hires himself out to a foreigner. And that foreigner sends him out into the field to eat, to feed pigs. And worse than that, the pigs are now eating better than he is. And in his trouble, he said, wait a minute, I know a place that's good. I know a place to get back to. And that place is, is back at my father's house. And he began a journey to go back to his father's house. So, so in our trouble, it's, it's this time, it's the time of trouble that God never turns us away. Uh, in Psalm 51, it says that a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. And so, so as long as we're self-sufficient, as long as we feel like we're strong enough, as we're able-bodied, as we're kind of get-her-done kind of guys, um, we'll probably never cry out to the Lord because we'll see ourselves as our own solution. But in my trouble, it says, he cried out to the Lord, the psalmist does. And it says, and he answers me. See, there's a, there's a big difference between being connected and connection. See, those puzzle pieces right there are connected in the sense that they're made for one another. They're made to perfectly fit in together. But until they do, there's not really a connection that's been made. And God is, I want us to kind of think about this. This is the God who answers. This is the God who responds to, to that heart, to, to that desire that when we're struggling and when we're in trouble, when we don't know what to do, when we don't have the answer, when we cry out to him, it says that he hears us. Not only does he hear us, but he answers us. Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. 
Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Genesis 35, 3, and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Acts 2.21, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Psalm 18.3, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. Psalm 18.6, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Psalm 30, verse 2, Lord my God, I called you for help, and you healed me. What a God this God is that, that isn't a far-off God. He's, he's not a God who's unconcerned. He's not a God who's unknowing. He's a God who's near. He's a God who has time for your struggles and my struggles. He's a, he's a God who hears. He's a God who, it says he knows the number of hairs on every person, on every head on earth at this very second. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. There's nothing too big for him. There's nothing too great. And there's nothing too small either and he's the God who hears, and he's the God who responds. The request here is save me. Save me, Lord. We need a rescuer. We need rescued from ourselves in reality. In the book of James, it says that temptation begins within us, right? That, that, that we're the source of our struggles. I don't know about you, but in my life, I've been enough trouble for me. I've got myself into enough bind, and in reality, nobody ever really talked me into anything I didn't somehow kind of pretty much want to do already. And it says this, it says, save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Save me from the message that's going on around me. Save me from the message of this world. Save me from believing and allowing that to go into my ears and dictate who I am. Don't let, that, uh, don't let those voices give me my identity. Don't let those voices tell me how to live. Don't let those voices uh, tell me my worth or my purpose, why I'm made or, or what this world is about. Help me, Lord, that I wouldn't be caught up in the temporal things of this world, the, the physical things, the, 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 the monetary things, the... Uh, Help me to, to not get trapped by my possessions or my hobbies or, or, or these other things that while many of them may be good in and of themselves, Lord, if I put them before you, they'll now be an idol. I need saved and I need saved from, from, the, from the voice of this world. Romans 12, 2 tells us to not be conformed any longer to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that we need new information, that we, we need to hear from God. We need to push away and push back against the things of the culture, the things that the culture would tell us define us or the things that the culture would say are true or right or good. We need to test those things, and we need to test them against God's word and say, is that really true? Is that really right? Is that really good? Would that really bless us if we really lived that way? It goes on to say, what will he do to you and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a sharp warrior's arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. You know, the, the Bible talks about our tongue, and, and it talks about, it, it, it says huge things about the words that we speak. It, it, it says that, that life and death are in the tongue. And, and the reality of that is that many of us have been hurt 
on, on, on really deep levels by words that were spoken over us by somebody who was supposed to love us. Many times by somebody who was supposed to encourage us, maybe a father who was, who was supposed to be there, who was supposed to be a place of encouragement and a, and a father who, who, who always uh, pushed us on and spurred us on to do well and, and gave us a blessing, but maybe they didn't. The things that come out of our mouths are incredibly important. They, 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 the, the book of James talks about how, how a whole forest is set afire by just a tiny flame. The problem with the tongue and the problem with the things that, that, that come out of our mouth is that they're, they're a picture of what's going on in the inside. Jesus said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. See, it, it says that, that basically whatever's coming out of my mouth is, is just an expression of what's going on in the inside of me. As a matter of fact, it's a great barometer to see where I'm at in life and to see where I'm at in my walk with God because if there's just negativity, if there's just foul things that are coming out of my mouth, then that's a picture of where I'm at on the inside. But if I'm an encourager and if I'm, if, if, if I'm moving forward, and that's indicative of, of not being a perfect guy, not, none of us are, but, 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 the, but the, on the inside, we're at peace that maybe we have some harmony, maybe we have some flow in our relationship with God. Maybe we've, we've learned how to be an encourager. Woe to me, verse five, that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. It's this picture that, that, that says, man, I'm in trouble, God because of the world around me. See, I, sometimes I'm wondering, do, do we really get how much we've been affected by the culture around us? Do we really understand how much Western thought is different from biblical thought? That, that, that we have, have been exposed to a lot of the things in the culture, and to be honest with you, we've bought and we've, we've, we've believed a lot of the things of the culture. That Christians have begun to, to not necessarily use the Bible as the standard, but the culture as the standard. And, and as soon as 51% of the people are doing X, well, now it's, it's moral. It's good. It's okay because most people are doing this. That's really not the picture. The, the picture is, is, that, is that the culture around us is created by us. And because we're sinful, because we're broken, because we have a problem with us, you see, the, the, we're, the culture around us isn't feeding anything to us that we don't already want. The movie industry is making money on the things that they make money off of because it's the desire of the people who have set the culture. And, and, and so there's just this real need that, that we, would, we would understand that, that when we look at us, when we begin to look at God, that should, that should do something in us that causes us to go, whoa, wait a minute, man. I've, I've dwelt here, I've lived here, I've been too much involved here, I've, I, I spent too much time here, I've allowed this to affect me way too much. You see, that when we draw near to God, the, the natural effect of that should be to reveal the reality of, of our own brokenness, our own sinfulness, and the sinfulness of the place where we live. It happened to Isaiah way back then in chapter 6. And, and, he, and he sees God in his temple, it says, and he's, he, he's on his throne and the cherubim are singing, holy, holy, holy. And, and, and his response is, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. 
So when we, when we see God, when we begin to understand a little bit about God on this journey that we're in, it should cause us to, to step back and go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, he's God. He, he's big, he's, he's all powerful. You know, sometimes I think Christians, I think we think like that when, when Jesus comes back that we're gonna be all running around like high-fiving each other and woo, you know, it's Jesus and he's back. But honestly, we'll, we'll be on our face. You'll be on your face until he tells you you can get up because he's God, because, because he, he's all powerful and, and we can't just treat him like he's a buddy. When Simon recognized who Jesus was, he said, uh, he fell at his knees and he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. See, this is the reaction that it's had on him is the, is the reality of who he is apart from God. And when he's in the presence of God, it magnifies the reality of our sinfulness and who we are. Verse six, too long have I lived among those who hate peace. Too long have I spent my time. Too long have I invested here. Too long have I hung around and been in the middle of those who really desire things other than peace. You know, Shalom is the Jewish word for peace, and it, it, has, a, it has a much bigger uh, idea of, of peace. It's a, it's a complete well-being. It's a harmony. It's a wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. These are the, the characteristics of the shalom peace that, that God is really desiring in our own lives. The problem with us is, is that we run off to, to other things. We, we, we push off the, the things of God for the things of the world. And we, we, we pitch our tent there, we hang out there, we live among it, and it's affecting us. And because it's affecting us, it leaves us ineffective in the world to the degree that God would want his people to be effective in this world. See what happened with that, with that son. It says that, that when he ran totally out of resources and he realized that he had sold himself out to a foreigner and that that foreigner had, had sent him to the fields to feed pigs and he's feeding pigs and worse yet that the pigs were eating better than him. And he had a hunger within himself and he, he came to understand that the only place that that hunger could be fulfilled was back at his father's house. He, see, he came to understand that his father was a faithful man, that nobody went hungry in his father's house, that all of the servants there had more than enough. And this is what happens. You see, just as in that journey where, where they begin by, by going to the lowest point and then ascending up into Jerusalem, you see, this son had, had got to his lowest point. He had hit his bottom, and bottom always has the same effect in our lives. It causes us to have an aha moment. It causes the light bulbs to come on and go, wait a minute, where have I been hanging out? What have I been listening to? What have I been allowing into my life that's really contradictory to the things of God. How is it that I have been living something closer to death, really, than life? And what is the source of life and realizing that it's God in his goodness, in his holiness, in who he is? He says he came to his senses and he said, I'm going back to my father's house. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. And verse seven, the final verse in this psalm, I am for peace, but when I speak, 
they are for war. You know, if you live out a Christian life, you're, you're not going to find yourself in agreement with the world around you. You'll find yourself oftentimes in real contradiction even to your own very self, much less the culture that we live within. So if we begin to speak it, if we begin to, to live this out, we're going to find that we're not really in agreement with a lot of the people around us. But that's okay. Jesus told us that they, they hated him before they hated us. Ephesians 4.10, see, Jesus descended. He who descended is himself also he who ascended. Far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. You see, Jesus is the one who, who left his position in heaven, who in all humility gave himself for us, gave up his, his rights, his power to be God, and he, and he entered into the world as, in, in all humility as a baby. And, and, and he lived a perfect life and, and subjected himself to his creation. The creator subjecting himself for the creation, that it might be possible that him and his creation might be restored in that relationship. See, sin had come in, and, 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 and sin is, 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 again, it's the idea of missing the mark. It's an it's a, it's a archery term that means simply to miss the bullseye. And, and sin has come in, and it's, it's, it's come into our culture, and it's come into our world, and it lives really deep inside of who we are, and it, it begins to affect us. It begins to move us away from God and into self and into our, our own thing. And God has come to reconcile this. And, and, and he came and he descended and he, he lived us, this life on earth and he died on the cross so that he could substitute his life for your life. And he offers salvation to us as a free gift. And, and, and at that point of salvation, it's really, it's not the end, it's not the destination, it's the beginning of a journey. It's not an easy journey. It's a difficult journey. As a matter of fact, if you choose to truly live it out, it's the most difficult journey you'll be on. But make no mistake about it. Each and every one of us in here is on a journey. You weren't born at the wrong time. You weren't born in the wrong place. You weren't born to the wrong parents. You were born exactly where you were supposed to be. And your journey is totally on purpose and the creator of the universe knew you for all history, for all time, for all eternity past. He's known you and he's known about this journey that you'll be on. And, and he's, he's placed special things on your journey to, to help us, to, to grow us, to, to bring us closer to him. You see, the, the, the meaning of life, the meaning of this journey is to, is to know God and then to make him known to glorify him, to live our lives. And whatever we find ourselves doing along this path is to be restored in our relationship back to God and then to be helping others to be restored in that as well. And you see, your journey is your journey and you can spend it as you please. You can spend it as a tourist or you can spend it as a pilgrim. And a tourist, you know, the journey is just the journey. It's actually a little bit maybe of an inconvenience to the destination because it's all about the destination. And a tourist spends all of their time gathering trinkets from their destination. And ultimately, a tourist goes home unchanged, unchanged by, by the journey, just maybe with a little cooler Instagram account. 
but a pilgrim. A pilgrim recognizes that the journey is intrinsically tied to the destination and that the journey itself and the difficulties of the journey are a part of the journey, that they're to be, that they're to, to be grasped and held onto because they're opportunities for growth, because they're opportunities, they're places of change. And so while this journey isn't necessarily an easy journey, it's a good journey. It's a meaningful journey, and it's a purposeful journey. And each and every one of us are on a journey in this life. Are you a tourist or are you a pilgrim? What's your perspective as you approach this journey? Are we, are we, are we, is it our intent to draw near to God, to know him more, or to just try to get a selfie with him? Genesis 3 was a question. It was the first question that God ever asked. And his question was, where are you? Where are you at on your journey? Where are you at right now? Are you, are you on the road? Are you headed to that destination? Are you, are, you, are you a pilgrim desiring to grow closer to your maker? Are you a, are you a pilgrim desiring to, to know God in a deeper place and to help others along the way? Or are you hiding in the bushes? But God asked that question, where are you at on your journey? Where are you today? And Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 says that the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You see, you don't have to wait till the first of the year to start this journey. You don't have to wait to the new year and make a resolution. This journey is available each and every day. And maybe we've been on that journey and maybe we got off the path. Maybe we, maybe we got caught up in the weeds over here a little bit and got a little bit lost or distracted. There's that opportunity to get back on that path each and every day. Every day is a new day. Every day is a new opportunity with God. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Are you a joyful beginner? That's the question. And so I want to leave us with this thought. In these times, and they're tumultuous times, they're, they're times of great struggle in our nation. Let's face it, there's, a, there's an incredibly deep divide within our, the world, our culture around us. In America right now, there's, 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 we're way on a spectrum of way over here and way over there. We don't have a lot of unity and we're struggling and, and we have these social causes. And trust me, I believe that, that these social causes are, they're, 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 they're fine, they're good causes. The church should stand for injustice. We should lead the way against injustice as a matter of fact. But how we do that sometimes, I, I wanna just say, and, and I'm, I don't wanna make light of anybody and, or, or the, the, the protests or the things that went on, but I'm just gonna tell you that 97% of the people that went to those are gonna be on with their lives in another two weeks. And, and it will just be kind of the thing that happened, the thing that, that went on. There's one thing that will change this world. And that's hearts united towards God on this same road, on the same journey. You see, we have the greatest cause that has ever been. It's the gospel. And, and so whatever our politics look like or whatever our social justice causes look like, and there are many of them, 
They need to be first met and fed by the gospel because it's the gospel that changes hearts. It's the gospel that, that ignites a fire that doesn't go out. It's the gospel that moves through this world that has changed the world. The gospel changed the way you write the date on your checkbook. The gospel changed the world. And, and, and so if we have social justice and we have um, politics or any of those things, which are fine things, they really have to be fed first by the gospel. And the idea is, is that are we living as Christians a life of repentance to where we recognize too long have I dwelt in those tents, the tents of Kedar and, 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 and Meshach. I, I've been there too long. It's affected me. And now what I need to do is check my life against what God says. And I need to be ready to repent. And repent is simply to turn. It simply means to do a 180. And, and my journey was headed this way, and I need, I, need to, I need to change that, and I need to just turn it around. And I need to be right, because you see, social issues and these things without the gospel, they're just a little fire that's gonna just, it, it, for I don't know how long, it's just burned a little while, and it goes out, and then it comes back up, and then it goes out. And it doesn't solve anything, but the gospel changes lives. Jesus changes lives, he changed mine. He drastically, drastically changed my life 20 years ago. I have not been the same guy. I haven't been a perfect guy, but I can promise you I haven't been the same guy. And so, so my challenge to us as the church is, is if the gospel isn't your number one priority, if it's, if it's not the thing that you're keyed into right now the most, recognizing that it's the gospel that is the answer that we're one nation, God made one man. He made one race, the human race, right? And, and we have one problem, sin. One solution, Jesus. One hope, the resurrection. J.D. Greer wrote that, and those are powerful words. That's a powerful truth. Everything needs to come through the lens of the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the journey. Thank you for the life that you've given us. And, and, and may our life be an expression of, of who you are. May, may the solutions that we look to be your solutions. May we see the world around us with the eyes that you see it with. May we see it with the same heart that you have for it. Help us, Lord, to, to repent, to, to look back, to, to realize and to acknowledge that that we haven't loved you and that we, we haven't loved others in the way that you've called us to love others. And the reality of the world that we've lived in is that we have been stained by the brokenness of it and, and, and racism and bigotry and, and struggles. Um, uh, just a lack of care and concern have come into my life, Lord. And I just repent of that, Lord. I ask that you would help us, that you would get us to a right place with you that, Lord, we would, we would consider nothing more important than you and the message of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to, to truly be agents of change and hope in this world, not because we're good, but because you're good, Lord. Not because we can carry this out, but because you're all-powerful. But, Lord, we just want to come before you. We want to recognize the reality of our need for you, that we need a Savior, that, that we need hope, that we need help and that we know you to be good, that when we cry out to you, 
that you hear us and that you answer us. And so to you be all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.